0: So this morning, we have a special treat for you guys. As we have been in the process and have been in the process of uh, the, the transition, uh, we were thinking about reaching out to some guest speakers to come in and, and share some words with our congregation. And uh, literally, the absolute first person that I thought of to reach out to uh, was the, the guy who's gonna be speaking today, uh, my friend Casey Salgas. Um We met at, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We met many years ago and uh, just immediately clicked. Uh, we met in a sandwich shop actually, and then next thing you know, we, we oh
1: hey, what do you know? We're going to the same church, and um, he was an elder there and did a fine job of it, if I may say so.
0: And then uh, we started meeting up regularly, and just love Casey and everything that he stands for. I've seen him. Faced some, some challenges in his life, and I'm just in awe of and in admiration of how he's handled those things by pressing into God in those moments. So Casey is my friend, my brother in Christ, my mentor, and my mentor. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. The smartest guy I know right here, Mr. Casey. Song. So please welcome him. Is it okay if I go down on uh, Is it safe? Or comfortable? Yeah.
1: I just, I'm just using okay. Yeah. okay. We'll find out. This is, being
0: up that that just feels really like intimidating.
1: <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to be here. I'm so really delighted. Um, I, I wanted to bring you special greeting from City of Light Anglican Church in Aurora. Um, yeah, my pastor, uh, Father Trevor McMacken. Uh, Actually, uh, our church was planted from Church of the Resurrection, which I know you guys have uh, a nice history with them. And uh, Trevor wanted me to give you a special greeting because uh, he said he was always um, sure to be on the schedule, running lights and tech when you guys had your Friday night worship
1: gatherings at Church of the Resurrection. And uh, he just loved worshiping the Lord with you. And uh, so,
0: uh, I'm so grateful that I get to kind of reciprocate that and be back here and um, be part of uh, what you're doing here in the Wheaton area. Um, so I, I wanted to share with you something that the Lord has really been needing into my heart for the last month or so. Um, those of you who are familiar with Church of the Resurrection know that it's an Anglican church, which means that uh, it has really deep roots in the practices and identity of the church movement um, that was birthed during the Protestant Reformation back in like the mid-16th century. And if you're familiar with church traditions that organize around what we call a a liturgy, uh, which literally just means the the work of the people, then you might know that we are in a time uh, on the church calendar that's referred to as Lent. Uh, Of course, even if you don't attend a traditional church like that,
1: you know it's Lent because McDonald's. Has brought back a filet of fish, White Castle is serving seafood
0: sliders, and tortillas has vegan pepper sandwiches. Yeah. So,
1: um,
0: but you, you might also be interested to know that uh, Lent is about much, much more than just giving up meat or chocolate for a month and a half. Uh, in fact, the, the primary purpose of, of this Lent time is to prepare our hearts for a full and exuberant celebration. Uh, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday. And in addition to that long-term preparatory benefit, uh, the practices in Lent are really designed to shape the habits to kind of reorient our our daily lives into um, the the focus of Christ there. Um, I believe that one practice in particular, the practice of confession, really has the, the potential to enrich our faith on a daily basis. Um, now by confession and, and Gregory and, and I, had, I had to get really here with him. I'm not talking about the uh, climb in the box, the priest experience that we see in uh, about every gangster movie or uh, in Marvel's Daredevil or something like that, right? Uh, what I'm really talking about is a daily episode in which we encounter Holy Spirit and allow him to guide our thoughts, To reflect on our actions and attitudes, our intentions, um, with the intention of exposing and then confessing our sins and receiving the Lord's forgiveness. Now, of course, as believers, we're supposed to do this every day, um, probably multiple times a day if you're like me. Uh, But the truth is, at least in my own personal experience, we don't do it enough. And so the ancient church fathers recognized this, which is why they built this focus this habit into uh, the special emphasis, into this season of preparation, this Lenten season. Now, last week, uh, Gregory uh, offered some encouragement about how we can remain confident in our ability to maintain a close friendship with Jesus, to maintain our faith, even when we don't feel that friendship, even when it doesn't feel really vivid. And so this morning, I want to share with you how that practice of confession can be part of that, fighting against that that lack of feeling. Um, and most importantly, how we can fight against and overcome one of the enemy's greatest challenges uh, or weapons in discouraging our relationship with Jesus, something that destroys our sense of intimacy with our Heavenly Father. Uh, so this morning, I want to invite you to prayerfully consider what shame, what secret sin Does God want to put to death in you this season as we anticipate the resurrection of Christ? So would you pray with me before we put God's word together? Thank you, Father, for cultivating in our hearts a desire for you. Thank you for reminding us through worship that you are for us, that your heart is bent towards us that you want to meet us here in this place. So set us free from the bondage and the guilt of sin and shame so we can celebrate and be empowered by Holy Spirit and his resurrection power as we prepare to minister in our individual spheres of our lives. Bless your word, but find it its way deep into our hearts and our minds. Change something in us, we pray. Uh, this morning, I'd like to take a look at a story that probably many of you know. It's from John 8, verses 2 through 11. John 8, verses 2 through 11. This is the story of the woman caught in adultery. Here's the, here's the story, as John tells it. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and Placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and rose on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones.
1: And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they?
0: Has no one condemned you? She said, No one. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn. You. Go and from now on sin no more. Can we just marvel at those words for a
1: moment?
0: What I think is one of the most poetically concise expressions of how Jesus sees us who are regularly caught in our own patterns of sin. Neither Do I condemn you? Jesus declares. Now, A couple weeks ago when he introduced a series on our relationship with Jesus, uh, Tony uh, mentioned that shame too often prevents us from hearing the voice of God speaking to us. And it prevents us from running to Jesus. Our enemy, Satan, the great deceiver, he loves it when we misunderstand the tone of God's voice, And he wants us to believe the lie that our identity is fully wrapped up in what we have done. Satan delights when we hear Christ's gentle, loving call into freedom and forgiveness as a harsh and angry voice of condemnation. The shame of secret sin diminishes the vitality of our relationship with Jesus. That's the first point I want to emphasize this morning, that shame is a burden that breaks our relationship with Jesus. See, I, I grew up in the church, um, but I didn't always feel like I was a friend of Jesus. In many ways, at least in my public behaviors, apparently, I was a really good kid. Um, so much so that my parents and the church leaders, even my friends, really expected a lot of me. Um but like this woman that we just read about, I had some shameful secrets. in my life. And I kept it buried in my heart and they kept me feeling broken and weak. I know from the outside, I must have looked great because I'm still haunted by one of the women in my church who came up to me and um, she was a single mom. And she told me how she hoped her two boys would grow up to be just like me. She had no idea how many times that week I'd engaged in shameful simplicity. And due to my shameful and secret sin, I struggled to believe that I was fully deserving of God's love.
1: Worse yet, I struggled to love God and others because I was struggling to
0: believe that God loved me. Um, Just recently, a friend of mine shared uh, a study from the, the Journal of Experimental Psychology. I thought it was really interesting that even the secular scientific community is interested in this topic. And the, the scientists who, who conducted this uh, realized that guarding significant personal secrets actually has a significant negative effect on our relationships. In particular, shame negatively influences our willingness to relate to others who are in need. Uh, the experiment was something like this. The participants were told to think about, write down, but then hide from the researchers some secret. They were then asked to estimate the slope of the hill or the weight of a stack of books that needed to be lifted. And the researchers discovered that those with really big secrets perceived that hill to be much steeper and perceived those book stacks to be much heavier. And from this, the researchers concluded that the more burdensome the secrets were, the more participants perceived everyday activities as if they were carrying that physical burden. Mm -hmm. So if this is so, it's no wonder that we are so wearied by our own experiences in this world and that our weariness manifests itself in broken relationships with family, and friends, and in the worst case, a broken relationship with Jesus. Uh, The author Jerry Bridges noted, a tender conscience that is alert to sin, especially the refined sins such as pride, criticality, and resentment, discontent, irritableness, and the like, these things that we often overlook in our mature Christian lives. This, this tender conscience is a great advantage to believer, to the believer. But the same tender conscience can load us down with guilt. And we we are under that burden and sense of condemnation. It is difficult to love God or believe that He loves us. Now, the good news is that for the Christian, relief from this paralyzing and relationship fracturing guilt is surprisingly easy to obtain. It's called confession. And as the adage says, confession is good for the soul. Scripture teaches us that, and yet we struggle to believe it and practice it, don't we? But I want to remind us this morning that confession is a blessing can break the bondage of shame. Um, We are members of a culture that is really obsessed with appearances. Uh, So much so that we use myriad products and filters to alter our appearance because we want to hide our
1: weaknesses and our
0: inadequacies. Even, Even here, when we are gathering with other believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ, we may be inclined to close off a part of our heart to each other, into to Heavenly Father, so that we can keep secret some place of sin and shame that torments us. Sometimes it's because we told ourselves a lie. Sometimes it's because we've heard a lie from those around us that, that maybe we won't belong or wouldn't be welcome in the family of God or that we wouldn't be if someone knew our secret sin. Or the lie that Jesus will remain distant from me until I, by my own strength, can root out that sin. Now, in real life, I'm an English teacher. I teach at Metea Valley High School in Aurora. And uh, in that role, I get to use literature to discuss some of the most troubling and joyful aspects of the human condition. Um, We talk about things. Sometimes we talk about things like this, like guilt and shame. Uh, perhaps you studied or read the notes for the Gothic romance novel, The Scarlet Letter. You remember this story? Uh, if so, you might remember this novel is set in the mid, mid-17th century in New England. Um, and the, the main character, Hester Prynne, has become pregnant from someone who is not her husband. And to punish her, society imposes what they think is one of the worst punishments It can conceive. She has to wear this scarlet letter A symbolizing adultery stitched into every piece of her clothing. It's an enduring mark of her shameful sin. Now, it's clear in the story that this method of punishment is intended to incur deep psychological torment from the guilt and the shame. But ironically, uh, Hester endures the public shame and survives being shunned by society. And ultimately she thrives because she learns to make peace with her past. Mm. And what's especially interesting and tragic is that the baby daddy, who happens to be the town's pastor, spoiler alert, uh, keeps his role and his secret shame secret until the end of the novel, when after years of guilt-induced Uh, Illness gnawing at him, he finally confesses publicly and then dies of a heart attack. So, the moral of the story, I think, is something like this. Maybe confession, maybe getting our sins out there somewhere isn't so bad.
1: Mm. Maybe
0: it's not a punishment. Maybe it's something beautiful. Mm. Maybe it's a freedom and not a burden. Yeah. I think this is exactly what David tells us in Psalm 32. Here's what he says Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And here he means uh, pardoned. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover it. Here he's meaning hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Now, if you do any gardening and you know exactly what David is talking about here, while rooted, weeds will grow rapidly and expansively. You can tear off the tops, but they'll just keep growing back and maybe even spread and ultimately choke out the life from what it is that you want to grow. But if we uproot the weeds, tearing them out and exposing them to the radiant summer sunlight, and they shrivel and dry up into ugly bits, they can be crushed into dust and discarded. So we, brothers and sisters, are invited into confession, not as a punishment or as a public shaming, but as a mercy, as a means of experiencing God's grace, because this is the very heart of the gospel. See, confession is a gift that recalls the gospel and the promise of the resurrection. Confession does not end at conversion. I mean, we, we just got done honoring Billy Graham. And I know so many, so many stories of people who made that, that profession of faith that confession. But it is not a one and done Wiping on the slave because our personal relationship with Jesus there is freedom and joy that comes from ongoing confession, from acknowledging that we are just redeemed sinners who are becoming but not yet confession reminds us of that. Um, I, there's a funny little book that we used to have around my house when my kids were young. I think it's intended to help children in potty training to feel less anxious about the whole experience. (laughs) It's called everyone poops.
1: (laughs) I know, it's kind of crude um, and maybe a little inappropriate to talk about during a church service. But the fact is, it's true. We all
0: do it. And the same thing is true about sin. We sin. We mess up. We hurt others and ourselves through the things that we do or don't do. We sin in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. We do it intentionally and unintentionally. We do it when we love things or people more than God. And when we don't love others as much or more than ourselves. We all do it. But we hate to talk about it. So we go through life burdened by the shame and consequences of that sin. But we don't have to be burdened or ashamed. We are invited to experience forgiveness and a beautiful intimacy in our relationship with Jesus mm-hmm. through confession. Now at the beginning of Lent, our Lent, we liturgists open up our service with this, with this prayer. I prayer to read it to you. Almighty and everlasting God, you hate nothing you have made and forgive the sins of all who are penitent. Create and make in us new and contrite hearts, that we, worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness, may obtain the view, the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever." Isn't that beautiful and pretty shocking? Maybe at different times in your life, maybe even this morning, you're convinced that God hates you. That it's impossible to have the kind of relationship with Jesus that we've been talking about this morning, celebrating this morning, talking about in this series. But we just saw evidence from Scripture, David's prayer in the Psalms, Jesus' treatment of the woman caught in adultery. And that's just two of many, many affirmations of the truth that no matter what God hates nothing, but he made, and He is eager to forgive the sins of all who are repentant. Jesus earnestly desires to have a deep and abiding relationship with you. He wants to set you free from the burden of sin and the shame that goes along with it. And he uses experiences such as private times of confession and gathering for corporate worship to accomplish that work and restore our relationship with Jesus. Um, one of the books that my pastor, Father Trevor, suggested that we read during this uh, time of Lent is a book called Liturgy of the Ordinary by a woman named Tish Warren. And I wanted to read a passage of that to you um, that has vitally changed my understanding of how confession has the potential to shape my relationship with Jesus and with my brothers and sisters in the church. Mm-hmm she says in the moments that reveal my lostness and brokenness I need to develop the habit of admitting the truth of who I am not running to justify myself or minimize my sin I need to form the habit of letting God love me trusting again in his mercy, receiving again his words of forgiveness and absolution over me confession reminds us that none of us gather for worship because we are Pretty good people. Confession reminds us that failure in the Christian life is the norm. But neither our failures nor our successes define us or determine our worth before God or God's people. Instead, we are defined by Christ's life and work on our behalf. When we confess, we are reminded that none of our pathologies, neuroses, or sins, no matter how small or secret, Affect only us. We are a church, a community, a family. We are not simply individuals with our pet sins and private brokennesses. Condemning thoughts tell me that God's love is distant, that I must prove myself to God and other people. These thoughts are loud enough that I need a human voice telling me that they're lies. We are people who desperately need each other if we are to seek Christ and walk in repentance. Walking in repentance, a repentance that keeps vital our relationship with Jesus and our brothers and sisters in the church. That's what this is all about. So as we conclude, I I have a couple of challenges for you. If you've been listening to the condemning and shaming voice of the enemy that wants to deceive you into thinking that your identity is defined by your work and performance and not Christ's life and work on our behalf, then you need to hear the voice of a pastor or a spouse or a small group leader or a trusted friend speaking the truth of God to you. If you're not already committed to a small group of believers in one of the life groups here at Antioch, then you really, really need to be. We're not intended to do this alone. We need a community, however small or large, in which we can share our lives with honesty and vulnerability. And we need to hold each other up so that together we can become more like Christ. We do not confess to God or our pastor or to others because it results in our salvation. Only a work of God can do that. But an attention to confession and particularly in this season waiting for Easter, reminds us of the glory of the gospel, that though I have sinned and fall short of God's glory, if I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, then I too will be saved. Then I too can stand before Jesus and hear him declare, neither do I condemn you and the same is for you. How is the shame from a secret sin diminishing the vitality of your relationship with Jesus right now? How is it eroding the joy that is to come from the community and fellowship of other believers? What do you need to confess this week, today, and to whom do you need to confess? What hurt is Jesus wanting to heal in you this way? What sin, what secret shame does God want to put to death
1: in you during this season of resurrection?